you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. While you are turning there, we say it's good to have all of our all of our guests with us, first-time guests to the Pulaski Church of God. We welcome you. There's a guest card connected to your bulletin if you will fill that out. And our host and hostess will be right across from the elevator after service. And if you'll turn that in to them, they have a nice gift bag they want to bless you with. It is a special treat uh, for me, my family, to have uh, my oldest nephew, Brandon, his daughter, Sierra, with us from Nashville, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. strong Christian family and we certainly appreciate them and uh, right after service today the three of us are taking a trip to go see mom and dad I'll be back on Tuesday we're looking forward to, to being able to spend a little time with them in Carolina but uh, we're glad you're here today John chapter 10 I want to read one verse of scripture it's the words of Jesus and it's found in verse 10 the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Can you say amen to the reading of God's Word? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we bless you. We thank you. We are keenly aware that you are here, that your presence is among us. We believe today that you're going to minister through this time in the Word. May you be glorified in all that is said and accomplished. And we'll give you praise for it in Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to talk about the value of life today. Several years ago, I was listening to a, a great influencer, teacher, speaker into my life, probably one of the greatest voices on leadership of our day. His name is John Maxwell. Many of you have heard of him. He said at 51 years old, just a few weeks before Christmas, he had a very serious heart attack. God touched him. He survived. But he said that Christmas was very emotional with his wife and his two children. He said, I almost missed Christmas. Like you, I have scanned online or through the newspaper to read obituaries of the elderly, and they are frequent. And yet I've also read many obits of those that were young and seemingly in the prime of their lives. And yet, like most people that are present today, I am guilty of treating life as an automatic that will always be there. But this earthly life will come to an end. It is appointed unto man once to die. The writer of James in the New Testament said that this life is but a vapor that appears for just a little time and then it vanishes away. 
My question to you today is, are you getting the most value out of your life? As the Lord has directed me, I'm going to deal with some very practical areas, and I believe there's already been some confirmation in this service, but I'm going to deal with some very practical areas that I believe will add value to your life. If you're a note taker, these are certainly worth uh, writing down. But I want to say today is the primary, uh, primary goal of this message is that you must live life with the right focus. You cannot afford, no one desires to be wandering aimlessly around without direction, without a future. You must have some focus. You must have some vision, some mission, some personal goals, some, some objectives that you want to accomplish and see fulfilled. You must have an idea. You must come to a realization of what God has placed you on this earth for. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You're here by providence. And the Lord has some specific plans for you in mind. So you must live life with the right focus. And so that's, that's what I want to talk about for a few moments today. Living life with the right focus so you can get the most value out of your life. But i got to tell you, the, the, I, I believe it begins when you live life with a great attitude. How many live life with a terrible attitude? As we've heard already, nothing ever goes right. Everything is against me. Everyone is against me. Woe is me. Always zeroing in and dwelling on the negative. To some folks, you could state, oh, what pretty blue skies. But they would find a speck of a cloud and pronounce a rainstorm. You could be enjoying watching your team winning a ball game, and then there's that person next to you that would remind you that 35 years ago your team was winning, but the other team came back to win the game. A real killjoy. Maybe you heard the story about the two hunting buddies. One of them was always pessimistic, always negative. The other one was the eternal optimist. And so the optimist said, I'm going to fix my friend. I'm going to bring out my special hunting dog. Never shown my friend my hunting dog before, but this is going to change my friend's negative outlook. And so he brought his hunting dog out, and they went hunting, and he shot the bird out of the sky, and it fell in the middle of the lake, and he told the dog to go and fetch and the dog walked on water to get the bird. And the optimistic friend asked, well, what do you think about that? And the pessimist replied, dog can't swim, can he? <laughs> I mean, there are people who claim to know Christ. But you cannot convince them of anything good because their outlook is always so bleak. And then you wonder why no one wants to eat with you or go to the mall with you or play golf with you. It's because of a negative attitude. My attitude today determines how this day is going to turn out. 
My attitude this morning states, I came to the house of God to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and I declare I won't leave here like I came in Jesus' name. I mean, let's be real today. When you think of a negative person, you think of a contentious person. And Paul wrote to Timothy or Titus in the New Testament and said, avoid contentions and strivings. Avoid them. The wise man wrote in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 19, and he said, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious woman. Let me read that again for, for effect. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious woman. Now, men, before your chest swells, let me tell you, I've encountered plenty of men in my time that make me want to run for the desert. It's not exclusive just to women. It's also to men. I read in another place, Proverbs chapter 25. The Proverbs can be quite humorous sometimes. And in Proverbs 25 and verse 24, it says, It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. I thought when I read that passage of Scripture, I said, well, let me ask the ladies in the house this morning, has your husband gone to the attic lately? And you ask him why, and he says, I'm just going to look around, but then he doesn't return till the next morning. Maybe he read that verse. Maybe he came to a conclusion that I'd rather dwell in the attic where there's no air conditioning than to dwell in a room with air conditioning and be in contention all the time. Somebody help me this morning. I'm telling you, believers sometimes need to be reminded that our attitude is supposed to reflect Christ to those we come in contact with. Can someone say amen? Attitude will be your best friend or your worst enemy. Attitude will root inward, but its fruit will always manifest outward. Attitude is more honest and more consistent than your words. Attitude will determine your altitude. It's going to determine how high you will fly. Now, I know that one of the biggest problems in our lives and in our walk is that slimy little red thing that we call the tongue. But the reality is it goes much deeper than that. For the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The writer of Proverbs says, if you'll keep your heart, not your tongue, but if you'll keep your heart with all diligence, you'll understand that out of your heart, through your tongue, come the issues of life. Can I tell you, attitude will never be content until it is expressed. Attitude will always either be a magnet that draws people to you or a repellent that drives people away. John Maxwell, who I mentioned earlier, said this. He said, attitude is the librarian of our our past, the speaker of our present, and the prophet of our future. I'm going to let you in on something this morning. I know this is going to come as mind-boggling, at least it did for me, but out of 100% of things that I communicate to you as your pastor, did you know that you will only uh, take in 14% of 100% that I communicate to you? Now, I have proven this by reality because 
because I've asked people after service, what was the sermon about today? And they look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. They can't remember five minutes after service what the message was about because really we only retain about 14% of what we hear, but we retain 86% of what we uh, see. And what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that as your pastor, I can preach the greatest sermons in the world, but if my attitude outside the pulpit is bad, I will impact no one with the gospel. I'm telling you, God, we need we need a transformation in our attitude. We need the Lord to touch our heart. We need the Lord to touch our countenance. We need one more dose of joy unspeakable and full of glory. We need to be reminded one more time that it's not anything of this world or anyone around us that is our strength, but it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And when we get that and when we adopt that and adapt that and live by that, we become much more pleasant people to be around. I wish somebody would help me preach this morning. God, let your joy flow through your people and positively affect our attitudes again. Well, praise the Lord. All-time favorite screensaver. I don't know if he has it. I don't know if you can see it real good. You know, I got a soft spot for turtles. Some of you know that already. You do harm to turtles in my presence, we got a problem. I've been known to stop tractor trailers to get a turtle across the street. I can show you a, a picture of a semi-truck waiting for me as I had an empty two-liter bottle smacking a turtle on the backside just to get him across the road. I have a soft spot for turtles. But I came across this screensaver several years ago, and you can't see it real, real good, but it shows a turtle on his back feet. He's got his front paws up on the windowsill, and it's raining outside. And this is what it says. Wake up every morning with the thought that something wonderful is about to happen. Wouldn't it be great if we now, some of us look at a rainy day. Now, a turtle gets excited about a rainy day. Some of us look at rainy days, and it affects our disposition. Does it not? Are y'all with me this morning? Y'all awake out there? <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson said, write in your heart that every day is the best day of the year. Every day is the best day of the year. So if you're going to live life with the right focus, man, it's going to be life-changing for somebody here. If you're going to live life with the right focus, then you have to live with the right attitude. The second thing you need to understand, if you're going to, have, if you're going to live life with the right focus, it means to, you're going to have to live life thankfully and gracefully. When I say gracefully, I'm talking about grace-filled. I'm talking about grace-extending. It's been said that the beginning of our rebellion against God was and is a thankful heart. If you go back to Romans chapter 1 and you read about some of the most hideous sins that are recorded in Scripture, you will see that the origin of those hideous sins began with men that were ungrateful to God. 
Max Lucado, a well-renowned writer, says these words. The devil doesn't have to steal anything from you. All he has to do is make you take it for granted. That's all he has to do. Colossians 3.15 commands us, be ye thankful. It's a state of existence, living with a thankful heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We have a loving Father that cares so much about us. He knows so much about us, has done so much for us. He is all about us. How can we be but thankful? We are his crowning creation for the cause. I have been young and now I'm getting a little older but I have never seen the righteous forsaken neither his seed begging for bread my God supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus I'm telling you right now the most miserable people in this world are those who are never content with what they have but they always want more and they're never satisfied but I have determined and I hope that you have that when I come into the house of God or anywhere else for that matter I'm going to enter his gates with thanksgiving and I'm going to enter his courts with praise and I am going to bless his name bless the Lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the Lord oh my soul and forget not all of his benefits who forgiveth all of thy sins who brings forth all of the benefits that you enjoy. We must be grateful people if we're going to accomplish what God has put us on this earth to accomplish. Well, praise the Lord. That thankful heart has to exist on Sunday and on Blue Monday and Terrible Tuesday and Wacky Wednesday. We have to understand that if God has given us this day He's gift-wrapped it for us. And we live with a disposition of gratefulness. Being thankful. Well, I thought we only talked about that in November. Oh, no. Every day, every moment of every day, we live with a grateful heart. I guarantee you, by the Word of God, that if you began to thank God for all of your blessings more than you moan about what you don't have, your whole perspective in life will change. Well, I don't have as much as the Joneses do. Well, I don't say that anymore. I say keep up with the Smiths. I don't know about them Smith people. I know them Joneses are good people. But if you're truly thankful, you want to live life with the right focus. You live with a thankful heart, and a thankful heart is going to automatically produce a disposition called gracefulness or grace-filledness that will prevail in your life. That's going to happen. I'm telling you, when you really begin to live gratefully, then you're going to really begin to live gracefully. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, Jesus said, As you have freely received, freely give. That's an automatic result of having a grateful heart. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, this part's important. How do you know that? I'll tell you how I know it. But you may surprise you that Christian people can be some of the stingiest people in the world. Woo, I heard about six amens. Did you know that only 18 to 25% in a local church are faithful stewards? Only 18 to 25% of church attenders pay tithes. And yet 100% of the church looks for the church to be there for them. This is not coming as new news. I've shared this with you probably a few weeks ago. Did you know that waiters and waitresses dread seeing the church coming to their restaurants? Because generally speaking, we are stingy people. But if you find the most thankful, truly grateful heart that has really allowed that to get a hold of them, then you will find someone that will truly do anything for anyone. They're thankful, therefore they are grace-filled to others, and they're enjoying every moment of their life. We have a, we have a unique treasure. There's a treasure in these earthen vessels. It's been deposited by our Heavenly Father. We have within us the pearl of great price. We have to appreciate it, and we have to share it. So if you're going to live life with the right focus, and you're really going to get value out of your life, number one, you must live with a great attitude. Number two, you must live life thankfully and gracefully. Freely you have received, freely give. Third point, if you're going to get the full value of life, then you must strive to live life knowing why you are here and being willing to measure yourself. Why are you here? What purpose are you serving? Are you fulfilling your God-given mission? Some of us, we just wander aimlessly along and no spiritual compass. We float with each mood, the result of each circumstance as life is passing you by with no genuine meaning. Find out what God is looking for from you. I can't do what you do. You can't do what I do. We, we, we were put here, our unique divine design. We have a God-given mission. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his purpose. And everything he did and everything he said was all about fulfilling his purpose. You say, well, what was his purpose? Didn't he come to heal? No, he didn't come to heal. He healed, but he didn't come to heal. Didn't he, didn't he come to preach? No, he preached, but he didn't come to preach. He said what he came to do. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose. And so when he found a paralyzed man, he forgave him because forgiveness was his driving force. His calling kept him going during difficult days. I can't go back to heaven even though they're trying to throw me from a cliff. I still got to get to Calvary. 
Yes, I'm seeing revival in my own country. Yes, I'm seeing people in, in Jerusalem and Judea and all these areas. They're, they're coming to know me, but I've still got to go by Samaria because Calvary is for all people of all nationalities. Knowing his purpose, he was motivated to live a disciplined life. And then when the time came, he turned his face like a flint. He set his face like a stone when it was time to die for you and for me. Speak to the young people in the room. What good will it do to climb the ladder and get to the top and realize when you've gotten to the top that your ladder was leaning against the wrong building? Say to the young people in the room, you don't do anything else, you climb the Jesus ladder. You go after Jesus, his plans for you, his purpose for you, his peace in your life, his presence in your life. That's what you got to do. You got to go after it. Nothing else, everything else pales in comparison. Somebody's going to, I feel in my heart, somebody is going to get this in your spirit. Today you were wandering aimlessly along and the Holy Spirit has brought you face to face with your mission. You say, well, what's, you, you mentioned something about some measuring stick. Yes, God gave us some measuring sticks. Every one of us. One measuring stick he gave to us was our, our talents and our gifts. Now, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of talents in the musical area. Now, Tony, Tony makes me sick sometimes. Like Ricochet Rabbit, he bounces from one instrument to another. I took seven years of piano. I've done forgot the theory of music. When I get to heaven, Tony's going to sit down while I play for a while. Just didn't click. Just wasn't there. <laughs> I may have shared this story before I got on played a special one night for my mom who didn't know I was taking piano lessons. Oh, I was so proud. It was one of them old camp meeting songs. It was called, Bless the Name of Jesus. Some of you remember it. Oh, I will bless the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Sing unto the King of Israel. I get up to play it. My mom's back there, and the tears are flowing. And she's just overcome with emotion. I got through it. That's all I did. I thought, man, man I'm going somewhere with this. That's a song that the choir had sung. So a good friend of ours comes up to me after service. She said, Donald, I enjoyed your playing tonight. I said, well, thank you, Robinette. She said, but if you'd have been playing for the choir, we'd still be up there. Never did click. I have my, I have my gifts and talents. I need to ask myself if I'm using them. If God called me to give, I need to be given. If he called me to preach, I need to be preaching. If he called me to teach, I need to be teaching. That's a measuring stick. 
I don't know if it's going to work to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, well, you know, sister so-and-so hurt my feelings, so I don't no longer sing. You think the Lord's going to really accept that? No, he's, he's, he's giving you that beautiful voice to sing. You ought to be singing for the glory of God. I'll be done in a few minutes. I'll tell you another, another measuring stick is opportunities. Did you walk through the right doors? Did you walk through any doors? Do you ask the Lord, Lord, grant me opportunity to do something for you? And if you, I promise you, if you'll open the door, I'll, I'll walk through it. Gifts and talents and opportunities. And, and I guess the, the main measuring stick is eternity. Name of two words. There's a song that's come out recently in the contemporary Christian music world. And it's the same two words that I'm looking to hear from the Lord. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, a handful of things. But because you challenged yourself and you measured yourself and you followed through, now I'm going to make you ruler over many things. So there you have it. I want value in my life. I want to live life with joy and excitement and fulfillment. You got to have some focus. So let me ask you as the music plays softly here in a moment. Honest introspection. Are you living life with a good attitude? I don't think the weather has to dictate your attitude. I, I don't think winter season and shorter daytime has to dictate your attitude. I don't think people around you have to dictate your attitude. So are, are, you, are you living life with a good attitude? Are you living life thankfully and gracefully? If you're living it thankfully, then you're automatically going to be graceful to others. You can come to the keys. And then thirdly and finally, are you living life knowing why? Are you measuring your progress? When's the last time you got down before the Lord and said, Lord, am I using my talents? Am I unwrapping my gifts? Am I doing what you placed me on this earth to do? Am I making a difference Those are questions only you can answer. But I declare this word is by divine appointment for someone. Would you bow your heads with me?
Preacher, I find myself complaining a lot. I find myself negative a lot. I don't want to be. I find myself asking for more and not being near as grateful for what I have. I'm really not, really not measuring my life at all. I'm just kind of taking it one day at a time, going with the flow. I wonder today if, if we'd be ready to give ourselves away to Jesus all over again, fresh and anew. give myself away to you, Lord. I don't know why I'm being very deliberate right here. This is kind of a little out of of character for me, but someone needs to pray over their attitude and disposition. Somebody needs to pray over their thankfulness, the measure of it, the level of it, or lack thereof. Someone someone needs to pray over, you know, they just kind of need to do some introspection over their talents and gifts and opportunities. If they're really striving for them, what they are doing with them. Give myself away to you, Jesus. Who needs to come? Who needs to come and stand in his presence and say, Lord? Stand with me all over this house. Come on, stand to your feet.